You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Simon. And Lee is still in his box. <laughs> in his box or out of his box? In his box with Stephen Moffat. They spend a lot of time in there. Actually, yeah, I think Lee actually prefers being in that box than spending time with us. <laughs> the smell must be horrendous by now. Well, I don't know. He doesn't wash anyway. Well, Lee? <laughs> mm. Oh, you I obviously can't, know. I can't speak for Stephen Moffat. Well, you obviously know a little bit too much about Lee, a little bit more than we'd like you to. Hey, I've I've been missing with Lee, haven't I? I've been in the box as well, if you you remember rightly. I was going to ask you about that later on, but since you've brought it up, how was Phonicon (laughs) for you, Simon? Have you come down off the Phonicon high yet? No, no, I haven't. Life has tried to pull me back into reality, but it hasn't quite worked and I'm still smiling. Well, good, that's good. A big and really nice cuddle with Annika Wills kind of lasts for oh, eternity. So we don't want to know about that. Either. Oh, you do. <laughs> <laughs> this is, don't forget, this is a PG-rated podcast. Before you tell the story, what about a nice hug from Does that address the balance? I don't know. I can imagine a hug from Barnaby Edwards might be even more X-rated than one from uh, Annika Wills. Mind you, I don't know. She might be a dirty character. She was, yeah. Yeah, Oh, yes, and we know how the uh, Celestials like to uh, play with their biscuits, don't we? Mm. I've no idea what that expression is. I just made it up. Yes, I think, I think, I think you could quite happily say that, Mark. Mm. (laughs) Right. Okay. So, so Phonicon then, good. Yeah, well, um, better than I could ever imagine it was going to turn out, really. It's just, it it just, I think everyone who went to it got something good out of it, apart from the bloke who had his mobile phone, Nick, but... Um, oh, yeah, I must talk to Matt about that. He was going to give it back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, Simon, just Despicable. kidding. Despicable. I saw about maybe 20 minutes of the um, Dalek... Uh, session the yeah and uh i could tell everybody in there was having an absolute whale of a time it was an absolute i, I tell you what it was just like <clears throat> we didn't need to interview we had uh barnaby edwards nicholas Pegg, and uh dan barrett mm-hmm. three out of four of the cult of scarrow and um <clears throat> yeah you didn't need to interview them you just kind of threw them a ball and they went with it it was amazing oh, yeah. nicholas Pegg, my my god that man can talk for england fantastic Really great. And, and very we, entertainingly as well, because some people who talk and talk and talk, uh, I'm not going to say me, but obviously that's what I'm thinking, 
just go on and on and you just think shut up but they just keep going on and on and on and all the time they're not saying anything that's of any in you see what i'm doing here mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they were very funny yeah they were very funny, very funny. Yeah, yeah, no, they were great. And and considering we talked, I thought the crowd did very well, considering we talked for, I think, between 20 minutes and a half an hour on David Bowie before even getting on the subject of Doctor Who, so... Well, that cr- panel was supposed to run for something like 50 minutes, wasn't it? And yeah. it went on for something like an hour and a half. I know, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, well, I, at one point I was sat there on the sofa, sat next to Dan Barrett, and... I just looked across and looked around me and thought, am I actually dreaming here? It was very, very odd. But um, utterly thrilling, utterly thrilling, and what nice people. I think that's the, that was the big thing with with Phonicon. It was, there was such a nice atmosphere. Everyone was so friendly. So, um, yeah. And Mark, you had a good time? Yeah, it was spot on. Did a little bit of helping out early doors and then just basically schmoozed for the rest of the day, which was quite good fun. <laughs> yeah, I, at one point I went up to the bands. I went upstairs to see what was going on with the bands because that was supposed to be my uh, my thing. We had a couple of bands playing in the evening. A couple came, of bands and a stripper, wasn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, burlesque dancer. Burlesque Come dancer. on, so there is a big difference. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you came, say there's a big difference, which exact part of your anatomy are you talking about? Well, no, nothing was big because my missus was there. Um, huh? Is that I, what usually happens when your missus is around? <laughs> well, this is so going to be edited. Guys, let's get off this. Tell us more about the evening, Simon. Well, no, I was going to say I was upstairs and the, the main band were about to start and I came downstairs to try and find Lee and Mark and I came downstairs and they were sat around with the Daleks uh, and Simon Garrier and just basically sitting there having drinks all, all very nicely having this very comfy chat so you know i think mark did very well with his schmoozing i so wish i could have stayed on for the evening i would have had a great time it's taken me the rest of the week to get over it mind you pardon it's taken me the rest of the week to get over it yeah Uh, yeah my sleep patterns have just about sorted themselves out but um no it it was amazing i mean the people are asking when's when's the next one and we're like "Mm, we're not next year anyway but we that see. was a lot of organisation, wasn't it? It was, it was. What do you think then? Every other year, maybe? Yep, maybe, maybe. If it's going to happen, that's how it'll be. Maybe we'll do something small next year with maybe one or two guests for an evening or something like that. But um, Oh, that's a nice idea, actually. Yeah, yeah. Something... Actually, that is a really nice idea. Do it annually, have a big one every two years and just have something small the years in between. Mm-hmm. That is a good idea, a very good idea. Phonic on and phonic off. Yeah, yeah, why not? (laughs) Well, you know, that keeps it ticking over and keeps it in people's minds and makes it a regular date in the diary. But at the same time, if it's just a smaller event, maybe, you know, just a single panel in an evening one week. Be fantastic, I think. And um, a lot more manageable and we might be able to get hold of some, you know, really interesting people from further afield, get them down for the day and... uh, well, absolutely, yeah. Because mm. to commit to a like a convention, even if it is only one day thing, sometimes you find it easier to get people, the kind of people you might not necessarily expect to get, if you just are having them for an evening panel, just for an hour or something. This is it. I mean, the, the great thing about Phonicom is it didn't work like your average convention. You didn't walk in and there was just a line of tables where people sat down selling autographs. You literally could just go in and chat to the people. I mean... 
uh, you know, where else can you just walk in and have a chat with Felit Reeve about, you know, mortal engines or, you know, just, uh, it, was, it was just great. And I think it was just this great, big, lovely, friendly atmosphere. And, and I think a lot of people got, got something out of that. And how about uh, Candy the Pink Dalek? She went down a storm with the uh, kids? She did, absolutely. Yeah. And some of the grown-ups, too. Yeah. That's it. Well, and um, uh, what was the name of the Black Dalek that was sat behind the Barnaby Edwards? Desmond. Desmond the Black Dalek from X-Wing. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Right, I think we'd better talk about some Doctor Who guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I did try and get some um, nuggets about the 50th anniversary out of... Uh, Barnaby and Nick. Um, no, they, oh, they, they touched on the big finish that Bar- Barnaby's just um, directed. Uh, one of the anniversary ones for Big Finish, and um, all he did say was it was Peter Davison. It was set in 1963. I think they're all set in 1963. Yeah, I think um, so. But he was saying it was very, very clever, whatever it was. But uh, that's as much as he said. So, yeah, he directed Peter Davison. He didn't really go into it. Obviously, he didn't want to, really. As far as the actual TV anniversary, they said um, either they weren't giving anything away or they said about the fact that sometimes they literally hear about a week before they're needed. Oh, yeah. So, you know, there's still a chance there's some Dalek (coughs) involvement, but uh, they haven't been told yet. Right. I think we've been keeping the people waiting long enough. They're expecting to be hearing about Ice Warriors tonight. Yeah. Uh, and also, of course, Simon, you were missing last week, so me and Mark want to pick your brains a little bit about the first two episodes as well. Go on, then. Well, um, just before we do, Mark, now that it's had a week or so to settle in, because yeah. Rings of Akaten has really caused a bit of a fuss on the internet. Hasn't it? Just blimey. I've, yeah. It's been a while since I've seen a story that really divides opinion so vociferously. And people who absolutely adore it, people who absolutely hate it. And yet you and I, we both kind of liked it. <laughs> yeah, we were just both kind of, eh, it's all right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, having awkward. had a week to let it settle in, has your opinion changed? or? Well, I did watch it again last weekend. Um, I'm getting this impression, certainly with... It's slightly spoiling what we're going to be talking about in a bit. This second half of the series is its not quite taken off yet for me. No. It just seems to be kind of treading water. It's. I think, I, did I say in last week's podcast that we seem to be in the mid-season dip, but because mm. they've split the season, we're sort of having it at the start of the second half. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I think they avoided altogether in series six, you know. Hmm. But Simon, hmm. Rings of Akaten, what did you make of that? All about Bells of St. John. Can I do it in order? I was going to do it backwards because oh, okay. Mark we'll and I were just talking about the rings of, or the Bells of Akaten and the Rings of St. John. I wouldn't like to think of <laughs> what's St. John. That. I wouldn't like to think of what St. John's rings look like, but nevertheless. <laughs> Go on then, Rings of Akaten. Rings of Akaten. It was a game of two halves, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought so. It really so. was. Um started off the, the effects were something else uh, as long as I didn't show people interacting with them. So the asteroid belt and what have you was just absolutely stunning and took me back to um, uh, the end of the world. That that kind of grandeur was lovely. And um, it was very much like that, though, wouldn't it? Because, I mean, in essence, I know it's the second half of a series, but it is the beginning of the series yeah. for Clara. Yeah, so for Clara, yeah. It really was the end of the world 
styly for Clara to introduce her to, well, you know. Yeah, let's be honest, it even ended in a pretty similar fashion. It was the Earth that exploded at the end of one and her son that exploded at the end of the other. Yeah, it was a big basically. difference. So there was a big pumpkin that exploded yeah. at the end of this one. Um, but, the, yeah, the first half with all the aliens and what have you, yeah, they were a little bit, you know, plasticky aliens and what have you. But um, some of the designs were gorgeous. Those ones with the... The kind of monitor faces with the flashing light faces were fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, and I even didn't mind the barking and what have you. I know it kind of, there are people who are saying, oh, but if the TARDIS is translating, why are they barking? Well, you know, that, that one looks um, a bit like Davros yeah. in a feather boa. Well, that, the, <laughs> the barking just reminded me a bit of the spitting in the end of the world. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Oh dear, is it starting to repeat itself, this series? We're going to get on to that um, again, aren't we? Well, yeah, no, yes, we absolutely, absolutely are. Mm. Okay, then, um, the Bells of St. John. Bells of St. John, I didn't mind. Um, for some reason, it reminded me of uh, Donna's first episode. Not sure why. Yeah, it did me too. Yeah. I know, again, we're going on with this thing of things reminding us. I didn't mind it. It did. Beh- it behaved like a beginning of the series thing. It, it behaved like a reboot or an entry point for people i think as well um and i didn't mind it i didn't mind it at all the celia imri was brilliant um and the effects were great yet again i I quite like the robots with the turning heads and what have you um oh yeah yeah mind you the motorbike the effects of the motorbike going up the side of the building were just a little bit hokey yes just like in last week's episode the effects of the uh, sort of space <laughs> motor scooter thing yeah, were a bit hokey as well. That was yeah. Flash. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Supposed- alive. I know. That's two weeks in a row, though. They've done the sort of same effect, and neither time has it really worked. No. Mm. Fortunately, they didn't do that in tonight's episode. No. No, they didn't. Do you know what I was going to say is that the Rings of Akaten, I liked that more than I enjoyed it. Uh, but uh, Cold War, I enjoyed more than I liked because mm. I I mm. really didn't like that very much at all, and yet I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> I know, and You're that's a complex a, character. Well, that's a good starting point, isn't it? Oh, I tell you what, before we get into Cold War, shall we get some feedback on the Rings of Agaten? Yeah, go on Because we got a few bits and pieces on Facebook, so let's see what people were saying on our Facebook page. Um, Raph Edwards, he says, it started off really great, a bit like the volcano episode with Tennant, but turned into a load of nauseating bollocks, I'm afraid. Oh dear, after a great first episode, back to his drivelly fillers. Do I hear booze at the back there? So that's big thumbs up from Raph. Yeah, yeah he yeah. loved it. Um, Gary Davison says, an enjoyable episode, stunning to look at, definitely Clara's version of the end of the world, last week's answer to Rose. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people have said that. Um, he says, it's not brilliant, but this was no weaker an episode than, say, Fear Her or Night Terrors. Not bad, just not a blink or a midnight. The new dynamic between the Eleventh Doctor and Clara is still bedding in for me. After the last four years, the show feels different now. Not good, different. Not bad, different. Just different. Mm, she, uh, was... She's, um, I thought she was great in the first episode and has kind of gone downhill. Well, we'll get onto it again, but and also the fact that her northern accent is starting to creep back in. She started off very prim and proper, much like her Victorian counterpart, 
and then slowly and surely her natural I know there's quite a bit of accent. northern in the first episode yeah she drops in a bit in the Bells yeah. of St John she's just like me really in that she's got a bit of a hangover of northern accent but she's obviously been living in the south for a while it just mm. seems quite natural to me okay a lot of ex-northerners speak in sort of relatively received pronunciation but with the flat vowels but mm. But and that's yeah, but that's exactly what she's doing, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so it feels quite natural to me. I, just I don't more know, and more noticeable in these last couple of episodes. I, I felt like yeah. she was maybe trying a bit more in the first one to be more pronounced. I don't know. Not sure. I thought I, I thought she was very good in the second episode as well. Oh, we'll come on to Cold War in a minute. Yeah. Um, on The Rings of Acker 10, Richard Judge says, It was a frustrating episode to watch, as there were so many elements which were perfectly executed. The pre-credits, the costumes, especially the vigil, Jenna Louise Coleman, Matt, as usual. And I would go as far to say there was in there a fundamentally good story. The story was for sure lightweight, but it did make sense, although I would take issue with some of the physics that Neil Cross expected the audience to swallow. Isn't it always the way in Doctor Who, though? Uh, he carries on. I would lay down that the majority of the blame. Uh, I would lay down the majority of the blame at the feet of the director. Mm. Pacing mm. was a big problem. Yep, that's an interesting comment, given what we're about to talk about in a minute, isn't it? Scenes at the beginning which seemed to drag, say with Mary and Clara, could have been much tighter. Later scenes with all the exposition were way too fast and made it near impossible to follow the plot. By the time the conclusion came, I really don't feel that I understood 100% of what was going on. No, no. In amongst a series which I think has been the strongest since 2005, this is my least favourite New Who episode ever. I've heard that this was a late replacement script and that the production was rushed, but really, that shouldn't be any excuse. There you go, that's Richard Judge. Mm, I have to agree with all of that. I really do. Including worst New Who episode ever? Worse oh. than fear her and. Do you know what? It was the most clumsy. It felt really cl- particularly the action scenes. You know, when when the doctor was holding back those guys with the weird gas masks with the the sonic screwdriver. Yeah. Um, it was just it was just awful when they were falling over and trying to reach the sonic screwdriver. It was like something out of. Well, I'm sorry, but it was something like something out of a McCoy episode. It was awful. <laughs> uh, yeah, there were. It was one of those, wasn't it? It was... I think if the director had perhaps had a bit of a tighter grip on... Perhaps perhaps he didn't understand the script. Perhaps... When I say didn't understand it, I don't mean couldn't follow it, but I mean didn't really get what the beats of the script were. Because your director needs to know... Needs to understand the fundamental, important story points that need punching. And you just perhaps got the feeling with last week's episode that the director didn't really have a handle on it and perhaps made it hard for everybody else although i still think the first half an hour was great it was different Mm. and it was enjoyably different and i enjoyed it i don't once again i have to tip my hat to dot two trying something different i don't have an issue with the music it was a bit high school music at the end it was just awful when the drums yeah from, oh, a, from God. a musical point of view, it was it was horrible at the end. But well, it turned it went it's on the turn of a coin or whatever. On a, it turned from uh, something that was slightly alien and slightly weird and slightly different into something that just sounded like every other thing that Murray Gold's ever done. <laughs> yeah. Mm. 
Anyway, we've got another one, and it's a long one, and then we'll talk about Cold War. Uh, Richard Hugh Parkin. <clears throat> Halfway through watching The Rings of Agaten, I held a piece of psychic paper up to my TV screen, and the words, fans are going to hate this episode, magically appeared. <laughs> and in some ways, I can understand why it might not be a favourite. Yes, it features a cutesy little kid, and yes, we could all have done with about ten minutes less singing, but scratch the surface and there's a lot more going on in this story than might at first meet the eye. Firstly, let's give credit where credit is due. This episode features some absolutely terrific acting from Matt Smith and some of the meatiest dialogue he's had for some time. His outburst of pain, hurt and guilt that has been kept well hidden was as equally moving as his softly spoken tenderness towards Mary, Queen of Years. We had to wait until the last act of the episode to see him in all his glory, but it was definitely worth the wait. Though I've just about had my fill of the Doctor waving the magic screwdriver around like a demented orchestra conductor. <laughs> Even the meanest and grumpiest of fans would have to admit that this was the story when Doctor Who finally and unequivocally showed us what a planet full of different alien races would look like. I can't think of a better example of a believable alien marketplace in any TV sci-fi series, and only the troll market in Hellboy 2 has matched it in celluloid terms. Neil Gordon and his team pulled out all the stops on what is still a relatively small budget, and boy did they do themselves proud. Equally, the CGI created by the Mill TV was breathtaking and epic, and in the week we hear of their closure, a timely reminder of how valuable their contribution has been to the show since it returned in 2005. Now, this is where Richard might not uh, get everybody's agreement. The script by Neil Cross was thoughtful, exciting, and had several interesting ideas, many of which, whilst not quite paying off fully, raised questions in my mind long after the episode had ended. For example, though we, sing, though we sing lullabies to get children to sleep, could we in fact be subconsciously singing to keep the vampiric beast at bay? Uh, sadly, the pacing was such that the first half of the story felt a little slow and possibly self-indulgent, leaving the latter half to appear rushed. That said, the sentiment was clear and effective, and would certainly have raised a tear from my eye had Murray Gold's score been louder in the mix. Whilst last week's episode, the rings of the rings of the bells of Saint John, I'm going to do that all the time now, aren't I? <laughs> Showcased Moffat's trademark skill for sublime dialogue. The overall story was, for me, just okay. I mean, it was good and solid, but nothing to write home about. This story, though uneven, was much closer to being a classic Who story with its combination of the alien, the epic, and the warm at heart. Others will hate the rings of Akaten, but I'm more than happy to sing its praises. Nice little reference to the singing at the end there, Richard. Mm. Okay, let's let's move on to Cold War. Mark, you've uh, had a few minutes of quiet. Have you composed yourself? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we all sat and watched it together. And when it got to the end titles running, I thought, yeah, I quite enjoyed that. And then between us, we all sat and just chatted about it. And by the end of our discussion, I felt quite depressed. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> We'd really just picked it apart. We sat um, and, well, this is the thing, isn't it? We sat and watched the episode. And for those 41 and a half minutes, all four of us, because Lee was there as well, he just didn't mm -hmm. make it tonight, all four of us thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. And then afterwards, not one of us could find a nice thing to say. Mm. Because all the talking points were negatives, really. Well, so, my one positive that I'm going to throw go into on, the then. pot is David Warner. I think he's brilliant. I could mm. watch him do anything. And it's nice to see him do a bit of comedy, which he doesn't get a chance to do very often. 
yeah but uh, I really I really thought as an actor he struggled with that part he made me laugh yeah, yeah oh yeah yeah he made you laugh but did he make you believe him I, I enjoyed his performance <laughs> I thought he was one of the the standout bits but yeah it's <laughs> Go on, I wanted to like it. I really wanted to like it. The the first sort of shots of the Ice Warrior when it's breaking out of the glass, that was quite effective. Um, but I think there were lots of things that they kind of shoehorned in. When the TARDIS disappears, me and Lee looked at each other and went, oh, hads. And then it... <sighs> and that was entirely It's just throwing so much really, at the screen. It? None of it really made much sense. No... Uh, Simon? Yeah, you're going back to what you were saying about where you watch it and enjoy it and then you just feel a bit empty about it afterwards. It's a bit like it's a bit like a Chinese meal, isn't it, in that respect? Or, or, or put another way, a kebab, where afterwards you just think, Is that it? It tasted nice at the time, but am I left with anything that was actually nutritious? Maybe not. I don't know. <clears throat> it... I thought the design of the ice warrior looked really cool. The armour... You know, it kept all the, the bits that were cool about the original ones. Mm. Um, but that even that got cheapened because he exits, he leaves the armour and goes off on some kind of Alien 3-inspired jaunt around the, the submarine. And it yeah, it just didn't... Uh, I think that was the biggest flaw in it. I just... I felt like they... they uh, Mark Gatiss augmented what was going on with the ice warriors to the point where you thought, well, why did you bother having an ice warrior? Why didn't you have something mm. different that had, why did the ice all those abilities to... in the first place? Yeah. I mean, you know, great big ice warriors hulking. I said this last night, great big ice warriors hulking around, you know, uh, stomp, stomp, stomp. But the yeah. moment they get out of their armor, they're skidding around like a six foot gremlin. <laughs> it, I tell you what, the stomp, stomp, stomp <clears throat> was that, or was that not rise of the Cybermen? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that was the biggest flaw in the episode, and you've, you know, we've said it right from the off. You make a big deal of the fact that you're bringing the Ice Warriors back. Well, for one thing, it's not the Ice Warriors, it's an Ice Warrior. Mm. And then the other thing is, as soon as you get him out onto the screen, as soon as he starts interacting with the others, he's gone. Yeah. And he doesn't turn up again until right at the very end of the episode. Mm -hmm. So your actual Ice Warrior action in that episode was probably worth about five minutes of screen time. I think if they're going to start doing more Ice Warrior story, then this story could have gone further down the line. You know, bring them back, reintroduce them, establish with the new audience about the Ice Warriors and what they are, what they what they represent then do something really odd like that with them that makes you makes you go oh my god that's that's really odd you know and that's never a seen good ice. point this would have made a great somewhere further down the line story for a yeah. uh, the opposite of dalek <clears throat> and we'll obviously talk about dalek in a minute but dalek was a quiet reintroduction to something that you knew was going to be massive whereas mm. with the ice warriors because they are not by any stretch of the imagination, as massive as the Daleks, you need to show them being massive before you can do the quiet one, don't you? Mm, mm. This is it. And yet, and obviously, now that they've built the suit and done the design, we will be seeing the Ice Warriors again in the future, but I can't see it on the horizon. 
I, I, you know, it's not going to be any one of the episodes for the rest of this year, no. unless Stephen Moffat really surprises us in, uh, you know, episode eight. You know, maybe a cameo in the anniversary story, but I can't see them being back again before next year at the earliest. Yeah, not really. You, you have to be careful and not behave like a fanboy. And I'm, I, you know, I'm very. Um, aware of saying, oh, that's not a nice warrior, that's not a nice warrior, because you think, no, there's a new audience and these things do progress. So you don't want to be catch yourself saying, well, that's different from the old series, so that's rubbish. But but that story would have worked far better with, like, a completely brand new alien. Yeah. I mean, in a way, it was a bit like Midnight. Now, can you imagine what Midnight would have been like if it had been an ice warrior instead of the invisible sort of gets-in-your-head thing? <laughs> well it doesn't work does it no and you know if effectively that's what we had here mm, mm. Uh, and you know we're going to sound you know for the next half an hour we're probably just going to be sound like we're ranting about this episode and then come the end we're probably only going to score it like a nine or something <laughs> but you know <clears throat> it was plenty fun but it just didn't add up to much did it yeah no, no. i mean when we talked about it after watching it you know we come out with the odd little moment that didn't quite ring true or you pick a hole in it and it seemed to snowball from there and it was just until moment after moment lee made a really good point 15 minutes sorry uh, just no, after about 15 minutes we'd pretty much mentioned every single moment of the entire episode yeah. as something that didn't really work and lee, yeah, together, lee made a really good point about the armor yeah. how the armor was right from the start said it was had to be really important to protect them and as soon as he's got out of the armor they're shooting at him and all sorts and doesn't seem to affect him at all so what's the point of having armor yeah mm-hmm. i mean i'm sure then- mark gators has said that the armor is he's he's created some way of why they wear the army or in you know on mars it was was it protect them from the from the the ice i, I don't know i don't from know. the red snow yeah who yeah. knows but the thing is and this was another sort of fatal flaw. Actually, that ice warrior was far more susceptible to attack when it was wearing his armour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should have listened to what Lee has to say. Uh, I've got a recording here. Cold War. Well, beautifully shot. Lovely um, shots of the submarine uh, and all of the kind of ice and underwater. Some brilliant swinging, panning around type shots of going towards the submarine loved all that i thought it was fantastic uh cinematography very good i quite like the direction of the actual camera itself in the submarine the claustrophobic atmosphere all of that was a superb setting for this a great idea to have a very simple idea to have um them discover this uh ice warrior in a block of ice which actually has been done before but never mind um but to have it on board a submarine but so many little things about this were wrong i mean why would this guy melt the ice you know what was his motive behind melting the ice and getting the ice warrior out why why would you do that when you're on a submarine you'd get you know you'd get chucked off the submarine wouldn't you instantly for doing something like that um secondly what the hell was he doing out of his armor the ice warrior um and running around being more dangerous out of his armor than in his armor i think jr probably have made that point but um that was my grumble as well just keep him in his suit he was 
I think the first few seconds of seeing the Ice Warrior moving around in his suit, the way it was shot, the bits of slow mo, the little slices of cuts between, uh, you know, the little ed- the little edits. That's what I'm trying to say. Were all really, really good, and it just showed the power of this Ice Warrior. It was really cool. Um, and then suddenly, it was out of its suit, running around like, well, Alien. Um, this was a complete and utter rip off of the Thing, an Alien. Um, even so much to the point of one of the blokes being pulled up out of the way by the Ice Warrior in Alien 3 style. I think Brian Glover got pulled up um, and uh, even says the word alien. I know it was an homage, but the whole thing was a, a complete rip-off. I really like Mark Gatiss. I like a lot of his writing. I like his ideas and his concepts, and I like where he's coming from. But for some reason, I don't think the people who take his scripts translate them too well because I don't, as much as the cinematography was nice, the actual direction of the actors, the actual, I don't know, the translation of his script to screen was failing somewhat. There's a lot of clunky dialogue in there. Um, Clara's uh, motives and feelings were a little bit confused. It even felt that uh, Matt Smith at some point was getting a little bit, you know, it's almost like there was a first take or a rehearsal take with some of his his goes. It wasn't as clean and punchy as he normally was. Um, it's, it's a lot of dissing for this episode, but I just think it's a lot of missed opportunities. As far as enjoying it generally, I came away with a quite a positive feeling, so I'm going to give it a seven, um, even with all of that thrown in. But um, And I'm sure I've got more to say about it when we review it again in the future, but that's pretty much my my talk on it uh say that again that's pretty much my review of uh of cold war a missed opportunity and one last thing i will say is that this would have been a great big finish it sounds you know it sounded really good and you could imagine the ice warrior slipping out of his suit and i think it would be more powerful and it, it almost makes me think Mark Gatiss had this as a big finish and didn't really submit it and then thought Do you know what, I, now I've got the opportunity I'll, I'll give it to Stephen Moffat and I don't know whether he wrote this from scratch or whether he had this in the back of his mind for a long time as a big finish audio play but this is what it probably would have worked better as but as a big comeback for the Ice Warriors it wasn't bad, it could have been a lot worse um, it could have been a lot worse so there you go Oh, just as a little addition to the end of that last review, um, CGI Ice Warrior, what were they thinking? I mean, what were they thinking? What what, 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 what were they thinking? Why? Why do we need to see the Ice Warrior underneath the helmet? It's like Judge Dredd all over again with Sylvester Stallone. I was going to say Sylvester McCoy then. That would have been interesting, wouldn't it? That would be an interesting Photoshop. Somebody get onto that. No, um... Oh... He was in the shadows, that was enough. And already I was thinking, mm, please don't show us, that's already looking a bit hokey. So we didn't need a CGI. And if we did have to see underneath the helmet, why couldn't it have been a guy in a mask, just like the Silurians? You know, that would have been much, much better. But anyway, that's another whinge to add to the Cold War whinge list. Still give it a seven, though. Okay, Mark Gators. <clears throat> I mean, we've seen his certainly a series one Sherlock episode he can write he's so frustrating I really I like him as a person I really want him to do well but every every time time he lets you down yeah I mean Unquiet Dead for me is probably the only one that really stands up well and 
I'm not entirely sure how much of that was influenced by Russell T Davis. Mm. But yeah, he just every time it's not quite right. I mean, I like mm. Night Terrors. I'm in that minority of people that like Night Terrors. But do you think that's even because that's, of the writing or the directing? I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Because obviously that's my um th- thoughts about this episode is that mm. it's Badly written by Mark Gatiss well, you've got and really well directed. Yeah, in charge. probably re- yeah, really well directed by him, which mm. managed to manage to make a silk purse out of a pig's ear. Or- I think we said last mm. night that he'd do really well at getting a, a writing partner, somebody to spar off against. You know, and, um, somebody to pick up on those points where the the, the story lacks depth. Well, that's the point, isn't it? With Mark Gatiss, his story seems to lack any substance. He seems to he seems to come up with an idea for what he wants his story to be. No, he seems to come up with an idea for what he wants his plot to be about. Mm. But as we all know, a story is not what happens, but to whom it happens and why, and how it affects them. But Mark Gatiss just does plot, so none of his characters feel like real people they're all just a collection of you know ticks and idiosyncrasies like the david warner character he mm. just you know his entire character is oh he's like this really old russian professor who likes ultra rocks you know <laughs> it's i didn't get any it's jurassic park mentioned isn't it? <laughs> mm, but you I mentioned any... before the liam Cun- uh, liam cunningham character you know he's a great actor he's but a brilliant it's just a real nothing part and it's like, ah, you know, because the writing for his character was so one-dimensional, you know, that the, this poor actor, who's a brilliant actor, is left just doing the same expressions over and over throughout the episode, like he's, you know, got a key in his back that somebody's winding up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm, yeah. And of course, Tobias Menzies, another great actor, totally and utterly wasted. Can't fault the effects, can't fault the sets. It was all beautifully done, really, in that respect, with the water and, and uh, you know, and the submarine shots that were, were great. Again, like I say, cannot be faulted. I think yeah. Nick Briggs did a good job of doing the, the, the voice for the Ice Warrior. It was close oh. enough to make it an Ice Warrior, but not quite so. Oh, it was a vast improvement, yeah. Mm-hmm. Imagine if they'd been speaking as slowly as the original Ice Warriors and in such whispers. <clears throat> not only would you not have been able to hear them over Murray Gold, you wouldn't have cared what they were saying anyway because you'd have been <laughs> asleep. There was there was a period when I I was concerned that the Ice Warriors were going to become as dull as Klingons um, and be all about honour and you, you have you know. <laughs> I don't know. You mean you during were... the episode? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, I quite <clears> like the way it turned <throat> out in the end, the idea, you know, you, <clears throat> you attack the Ice Warrior, you attack their race, which um, I quite like that, actually. You know, that was another funny thing, wasn't it? It's like this Ice Warrior, and, you know, you have to suspend your disbelief over coincidence in stories, especially Doctor Who stories. But this Ice Warrior who's been sitting in the ice for 5,000 years, and he's the one they find, just happens to be the most revered Ice Warrior in the entire history of Mars. And it just happens to be that one. Well, how did he get to be the most revered Ice Warrior in the entire history of Mars if he's been in the ice for 5,000 years? And on the other thing... Where was Mark Gatiss taking that? Because if you 
introduce a character and make him the most revered character in the history of his race, you have to do something with that plot thread. You don't just say that and call him that and then don't produce with it. What, did he, what was he doing there? I mean, was, that, was yeah. that ever explained in the original Ice Warriors story? It wasn't, was it? I don't think so. That was the 1960s, though, a little bit less sophisticated. <laughs> yeah, you do. I, if you're going to do stories like this now, you can't really get away with not explaining things like that anymore. I know they do, but I mean, really, that was just another blank page in the story, really, wasn't it? Mm. Can we find something positive to say about it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure, why not? Um, Gemma Louise, wet. Oh, yeah, she looked great wet. (laughs) Sadly, though, only ever uh, in the background of um, shots in... um, uh, Long lens shots, so she was out of focus. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. Director missed a trick there, didn't he? (laughs) Who was the director on this again? It was... Douglas McKinnon. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, this, uh, looking for positive things to say, but this was the, f- I th- she really struggled with some of the stuff she had to do in this episode, didn't she? The mm. actress, I mean. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's it. it. It started off well. The first 15 minutes was fine, absolutely fine. But the scene where she has to go in and talk to the Ice Warrior. Yeah. You know, there's, in Idiot's Lantern, there's that scene between the Doctor and the policeman, right? Where the Doctor's under suspicion and the policeman's interrogating him. And at the end of a two-minute sequence where it's just a, a conversation that goes backwards and forwards between the two, it turns out that the Doctor by now has got the upper hand. Well, that kind of, in a nutshell for me, is Mark Gatiss's writing. It didn't feel real, but it was amusing. Mm-hmm. And all of his writing seems to seek to amuse rather than, you know, to present any kind of reality, any, anything that you can actually believe in. Mm-hmm. I got to the end of this episode and I couldn't believe in anything that happened. I mean, for God's sake, as soon as the Ice Warrior does get back in his suit and you're just about to have the big face off at the end, what's the next thing that happens? All of a sudden, the Ice Warrior spaceship turns up and just so happens to save everybody. And then, on top of that, to cap that, just as the uh, Ice Warrior is about to get his really big goodbye speech at the end of the episode, something to actually leave us (laughs) with a good impression of the Ice Warrior finally back in his suit for, he gets pulled out of the spaceship. And again, we get the rug pulled out from under us when we need something proper something decent to happen and then on top of that (laughs) you get the scene where the keys haven't gone back and maybe the nuclear war's about to break out after all and then Mm. as a parting gesture from the ice warriors oh we'll turn their nuclear weapons off i mean that one bit perhaps made sense that the ice warriors being a noble race wouldn't wage war on somebody who hadn't declared war on them or given them a reason to do so Mm. but it just seemed it just seemed like it was three uh, not deus ex machinas but it just seemed like three implausible things in a row to save everybody and well you have to ask what did the doctor actually do in that episode Mm -hmm. again wave this sonic screwdriver around 
a bit more. You keep wanting to say again. phonic screwdriver, don't you? Mm. I, I do, I do. Oh, Matt Smith. I'm such a Matt Smith fan, but that scene where he's battering the Sonic against his head and saying, I'll blow us up if we have, if I have to, that's probably the worst acting I've ever seen from him. Yeah. This is terrible, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. But I do, Go on, Mark, say does, something nice. I was going to say, it takes me back to the Night Terrors where, you know, the whole end of that episode is to do with the, the relationship between the child and the father. And you don't actually care. And yeah. me, as a father, I should care about something like that, and I just don't. There's a lack of depth, and there's a it's it's all surface. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've, Mark, do you want to say something nice before we uh, go into Dalek? <laughs> I thought the bit where he got teleported at the end reminded me a bit of The Simpsons when they had a character called Poochie, and they wanted to kill him off, so they make a big point of teleporting him and then putting a big thing across the screen saying he's never coming back ever again. <laughs> Brilliant. <coughs> oh, dear. It looked, it looked wonderful. I thought it looked great. The design of creatures and what have you is great. Um, I thought it had a very Russell T. Davis, especially Series 4 kind of a look to it. The mm. colours and the sets and things. Looked very I mean, much. The lighting, the sets was fantastic. You know, the look of the monster was brilliant. Did you did you think so? Ooh. I thought so. Yeah. What the did internals? Think... I don't know about uh, the internals. No, I was talking warrior. about the ice. Well, the suit, the ice warrior suit. I yeah. just think it looks a bit um, not fiberglass. What's it made of? Latex? <clears throat> no, probably is fiberglass. I don't know. Mm. Whatever it was made of, it looked like it was made of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? That's what happens. It's supposed to be a shell right yeah mm. and they didn't seem to they didn't i'm not i'm not saying it's bad it was good but they didn't seem to quite make enough effort to make you believe it was a shell mm-hmm. they used to and be I like tell you little what, furry bits which made you think that it was kind of part and parcel of what they were yeah that's gone obviously yeah i tell you yeah, what that's though, gone. <clears throat> one good thing about it that reminded me of the old ice warrior stories as well is that, you know, even in spite of a modern 21st century redesign and all the technology that they've got to put into these things these days that they probably wouldn't have had back in the day, and yet still his mouth was disappearing up his nose piece. (laughs) (laughs) So that put me very much in mind of the 60s stories. This is probably going to go down as the most negative episode we've ever done. I know. Hey, the fingers... We mentioned last night, how the hell does he get those great big long, you know, 12-inch claws inside those little clamps he's got? Well, maybe his hands fart like the Slovene. You know, we never got to see it naked. I mean, we saw the head, but we never got to see the whole body. Mm. I just wonder if instead of having an elbow, and so an upper arm and a lower arm, (laughs) maybe if his hands are at his elbows and those fingers stretch all the way down to the claws... But perhaps not. You no. thought about this a lot. No, I haven't. I'm just staring <laughs> at a Skype screen with a picture of you and Simon on it, Mark. Oh, you poor sod. Exactly. Yeah, from a design point of view, the the, <clears throat> the creature's head, the shape of its head, it didn't. You know, when you wait, when you when a helmet is designed for a person's head, it applies itself to the shape of someone's head. Yeah, but like that the helmet, Yeah, but the head didn't relate to the helmet whatsoever i don't just do not get it i do not well i well i tell i tell you why 
because the helmet's made to fit around a human head, but when they designed the creature to be inside, they obviously wanted to do something more reptilian. And hence, actually, the fact that the mouth is closer to the eyes than it would be on, you know, uh, like a mammal, mm. like a human being. Because they've tried to do the thing where the mouth and the eyes are, you know, either side of the snout. But they, they've kind of done this reptile face where the features are in the right places for there to be a snout but because it's got to fit inside the helmet they've not been able to give it a snout so it's just got this mouth in this really odd place where the nose should be oh dear didn't mark gatis learn anything from the sylvester stallone judge dread movie that you do <laughs> not take the helmet off no so uh, what did you think of the creature though but from right. what we saw of it i quite like the face I like the eyes. The eyes made sense of how you used to see the red through the visor. But um, <clears throat> other than that, it's kind of a nondescript creature, wasn't it? Really nondescript. Yeah, it, it was okay. I think that was one of the better things in the episode, probably. Mm. Mark? <sighs> Still there. <laughs> I just want to chuck myself under a bus now. I know, it's awful, under isn't a submarine. It? <laughs> And yeah, we'll get to the end of this episode, and actually, we're all, we are all going to give it a he fairly healthy score, I think. Mm, it doesn't take analysis. Let's let's face it. That's no. the, that's the big point. It doesn't take analysis. Take it for what it is, and it's it's a it's not quite a romp, but it's um, no. Sometimes it's kind of just... like a popcorn movie. You switch your brain off. Yeah, yeah. It's, um... Get a tinny out of the fridge, stick it on, and I'm sure it'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. I think that the, the one big difference though is that with a popcorn movie, you have to sort of. Like I said, this is my big problem with it. With a popcorn movie, you have to believe in the characters enough to follow them on the ride. Mm. Mm. And I think perhaps the big saving grace with this was the direction and was the quality of the actors who were in it. Mm. What was the whole thing with Ultravox and Hungry Like the Wolf? <laughs> Just so that it could pay off in a scene where Clara sings Hungry Like the Wolf... But, uh, you know, yeah. in order for that to make sense, she'd have to be singing it for a reason. Oh, actually, that Whereas, made sense <clears throat> in my head because um, there was a lot of uh, Western music making its way into Russia around that time, ironically. Yeah, but no, I'm right talking about War. in storytelling terms. What's the payoff in terms of the plot? Um, don't know. There isn't. It doesn't resolve anything, does it? It's just... No, it doesn't relate to anything. Uh, she, You're supposed to believe that she's singing it because she's afraid, right? Mm. And But by that time... See, Douglas McKinnon had an impossible job there because all the tension that you should have had in the episode keeps dissipating every time anybody starts saying any of the dialogue. It's like the David Warner scenes with Clara when, you know, all hell is breaking out and... Uh, you, you know, <clears throat> Mark Gatiss has written his version of what should be a comforting scene between the two characters where one tries to distract the other and so on and so forth, which is what the payoff of Hungry Like the Wolf should have been, Clara distracting herself in a moment of tension, but actually there's no tension whatsoever. I didn't feel the tension. Did you feel the tension? No. No. <laughs> There was that bit as well where, where she was starting to talk about, are we talking Russian? Why, am I talking Russian? And that seemed to be yeah. building to something. Like they would yeah. suddenly turn around and say, mm, you're a bit odd. And that, that didn't come to anything either. No, it was like in the end of the world when Rose did the thing, because obviously with the modern Doctor Who, 
they feel the need to explain this for a new audience and of course we mustn't forget that you know every couple of years there's going to be a new audience of kids and for the new character to make it make sense in the audience's minds that the character is accepting that they're speaking yeah, Russian. Yeah, for a casual viewer, they you probably don't know that the TARDIS <clears throat> translates. But in the end of the world, when Russell T. Davis uses, uh, does that scene, he uses it to lead into something else. Whereas here, it was four sentences and it's slightly amusing and then it's thrown away. Mm. See, a decent writer ties, you know, a decent writer <laughs> to mix a metaphor sets loads of plates spinning and then ties them all up mm. Mm. that is a really mixed metaphor that's, that awful. Yeah. <laughs> you go, oh, that's really clever <laughs> yeah exactly and that's something and... that hasn't happened in the last three episodes that uh, ironically you get fed up with it with Moffat don't you because you just think yeah that's clever that's clever that's clever to the point where you get fed up with it being clever but there's been nothing of that in the last three episodes no do you know what? After Series 6, I keep banging on about this because everyone seems to hate Series 6, but in Series 6, you had, what well, you had, even in just the second half, you had Let's Kill Hitler, you had The Girl Who Waited, you had The God Complex, you had Closing Time, you had The Wedding of River Song, mm. and even Night Terrors was okay. So out of six episodes, that was five full-on thoughtful clever intelligent funny moving stories that kept you glued to the screen and paid off on everything they were promising actually yeah emotionally here, emotionally testing <clears throat> yeah and mm. here mm. Uh, any of that across i think last week's and this is what i'm saying i i liked last week's more than i enjoyed it and i enjoyed mm. this week's more than i liked it because last week's at least had emotional resonance and made you think about things this week you neither had emotion nor anything intelligent mm, mm. and yet probably it was actually a lot more fun you know I probably actually enjoyed this week's more than last week's mm. weirdly are we going to do the Dalek stuff or are we just going to leave that to the uh, listeners imagination because let's face it it was mostly pretty obvious wasn't it it was really <clears throat> if Night Terrors was a remake of Fear Her, then uh, Cold War was just a remake of Dalek. Mm. I think in uh, light of watching this, I'm going to have to revise my scores <clears throat> for the last, well, this one and the previous two. Mm? Revise your scores? Yeah. Should we come back to the scores at the end then? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, <clears throat> on the subject of um, remaking, because obviously Night Terrors and Fear Her, and then Cold War and Dalek, the golden rule of doing a remake is you don't remake something that's good because you're only going to suffer by comparison. You remake something that's bad in order to make something better of it. Mm. That's the golden rule. And, uh, you know, Night Terrors bears comparison well with Fear Her. Yeah. Cold War does not bear comparison well with Dalek. No, so they want to make an episode in a holiday camp, then they do, do an absolutely storming episode. <laughs> <laughs> Are we talking Macro Terror or Delta in a Bannerman? Oh, Delta. Has to be. I couldn't, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't tell you about Macro. I don't know a lot about it at all. Uh, it's a, more of a holiday world, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mark knows more about that than I do. He's disappeared, though. He has gone. Hello. <laughs> He's only pretending to have gone. Um, I was making up for Lee not being here. 
Well, by disappearing as well. Yeah. How's that making up? That's just making things well, worse. Well, normally when he's on the show, he can, tends to come and go quite frequently. Yeah, it's fair enough. Um, okay, shall we score things? Go on then. Right. Um, okay, Mark, you were going to revise your scores for Bells and Rings. Yeah. I think last time round, I decided Hang on, though. That... Just, just a second. You gave them an 8 and a 7? Or a 7 and an 8? 7 and 8, yeah. 7 for... Uh, the bells, bells and an eight, and for, eight the rings. for rings go on then mm. you gave an eight You're... for rings Blimey. yeah oh we enjoyed it, it... Oh, there you go yeah. apart from the last ten minutes or so but go on then Mark hmm Mark you're Mark in the light of seeing these three I'm gonna go with oh the suspense is killing us I know <laughs> And so it's the radio six, silence. <laughs> six, seven, eight, I think. A six. So I still enjoyed. I still enjoyed it more than the other two. But so you're giving a six to the bells of Saint John. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty yeah. low. Yeah. Yeah. And a seven last week, and mm. an eight this week. Wow. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Like you said, I enjoyed it more, even if I didn't like it as much as some of the other stuff that I've seen. Well, that's so, yeah. fair enough. Uh, Shimon, mm. what are you going to give to the Bells of St. John? Um, I'd give it a seven. Yeah. I think it was, you know, it was fine. It was fine. But it wasn't anything special, but <clears> it was fine. Um, and then Rings, I cannot forgive the bad acting, I cannot forgive the bad direction, so it's going to have to be a six. Um, um, I just think it's it was. I'm not overreacting because I think we run a fairly positive podcast and we tend to find the good in things. But I do think it was unforgivably ropey in places. Fair enough. We are usually pretty positive. Yeah, I don't know what's come over us this week. <laughs> <laughs> Go on then, Simon. Mark your ice warrior story. Given that you were the one, or one of the ones who was, well, in fact, all three of you were really looking forward to this, yeah. weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I was the only one who was dreading it. I never said, <laughs> but the combination of Mark Gage's ice warriors filled me with dread. So I went in with pretty low expectations. And uh, go on, Simon, give us a score. Uh, it's going to be another seven. Okay, fair enough. Mm. And I suppose I'd better give it a score as well then. Well, begrudgingly, I'll give it a 7 too for the entertainment factor, but yeah. I've been very generous with that 7, I think. Well, there you go. That was Cold War. Mm. Um, Next week, Hide. <clears throat> By the same author as uh, the Rings of Rings Akaten. of Akaten. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, do you know what's God. really do you know what's really weird? When you looked at this you know, when you saw what was coming up, we'd had five very strong episodes last year mm. and then we had eight more episodes and they were gonna be in the anniversary year and yeah. presumably when they were writing them and producing them, they knew they were gonna be in the anniversary year and they were probably thinking, We've gotta make these eight really strong, just like the first five we did were really strong. And so far, it's let us down a bit, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. I'm feeling very nervous about saying bad things about writers, though. You know, on the, after after meeting writers at the weekend, it's I don't want to have to face up by saying things like that. I, 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 but the chib has proved to us that we can be very, very wrong about writers, haven't we? Hasn't he? 
The other thing, you know, writers... Well, yeah. Mark Gates, I don't think his strengths are as a writer. No. Mind you, I'm not going to say his strengths are as an actor, uh, but... I'm not quite sure what his strengths but you don't, are. But you don't question his performances as an actor in the same way as you question his... Oh, I do. Every time he comes on screen as Sherlock's brother. Oh, really? Oh, don't you? Not really. I just... Uh... I just don't think he can do straight acting. Go on, sorry I bumped you off. I can't remember. Well, I didn't kill you, but... Uh, <laughs> I, don't think he, I don't think he has a talent for straight acting. I think he's okay for, you know, the caricatures in... Um, League of Gentlemen. Yeah, but I would say that of the three League of Gentlemen, he is the weakest when it comes to straight acting. Mm. Do you not think so? Yeah, quite possibly. Quite possibly, but, you know, passable. I don't I don't question it, really. Um, he was actually very good in the Lazarus experiment. Mm, yeah. Yeah, very good. But it's like Mark says, he's, he's such a lovely guy when you see interviews with, with mm. him and that, that you, I think you, you do forgive him a heck of a lot. You want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And then, the weird thing is, it's like, you'll come up with these ideas and you'll think, oh, that's going to be great. But when you actually get there, you know, Night Terror's perhaps better than some of the others, but The Idiot's Lantern and Victory of the Daleks and this just lacking a heart just lacking a center it's like all the extraneous stuff with none of the, none of the solid stuff none of the necessary stuff that's how it feels mm. well, he's got one that more is, episode to come this season hasn't he i know i'm hoping uh that that will be a lot better because i have a feeling that's going to be you know the, uh, most of his other stories for Doctor Who, pretty much all of them actually, have been Mark Gatiss doing Doctor Who. Whereas with that one, I get a feeling it's going to be Mark Gatiss doing Mark Gatiss. I, I think it's going to be... I, I mean, I've no idea, because all we've seen is fractions of clips on uh, trailers. But it looks, to all intents and purposes, a little bit like it has the feel of um, the League of Gentlemen about it. Maybe that will play to Mark Gatiss's strengths. We shall see. We're, we're kind of hoping, aren't we? We're all I think that's about as close as we've come to a positive comment in this whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you better not let us down. The kids will love it. It's possible the kids will absolutely love that. Um, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. I Actually, think... to end it on a more positive note, Go on. just being naughty and having a quick look on Twitter, uh, Sucky Kark has tweeted saying, a question for the podcast. How often do you watch an episode of Doctor Who and are you watching more now than before you started the podcast? Oh, we're going to answer this now? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I was going to say one more thing about... But I've forgotten it now. You interrupted me. I'm sorry. Uh, what was I about to say? I was about to say... Uh, I don't know. Let's answer Sucky's question and I'll see if I can remember. Go on, Simon, mm. Mark. Oh, I find myself cramming a lot more. Hmm. I, I find myself quickly flying through a series or watching episode after episode after episode just to just to kind of get myself up to speed on certain aspects that we're going to be talking about. So, um, <clears throat> but as far as sitting down and watching an episode, it's literally one a week, to, down to the time, the lack of time I have at the moment. But it will be more yeah. now. Phonicon's out of the way. I will be sitting down and watching more. So it might be two or three a I'm, week. 
pretty much in the same boat. Yeah. Especially now I'm a family man, because prior to the podcast, not immediately prior, but for a long time earlier on, I'd been a single guy who could sit and watch as much Doctor Who as, you know, his heart would be contented by, but not anymore. Mark? I've got a very tolerant wife. She puts up with a lot of old, wobbly 70s Yeah, that's something that me and Simon like. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Trying to end on a positive note here, JR. Come on. Go on, on, then. Go on, then. (laughs) She sat through the demons the other night. Well, I say she sat through it. She read a book, but, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I I do like to dig out the old classic stories, and particularly, as Simon said, if we're going to do, like, a, a whole season in a review, it's nice to try and remind yourself of the good bits and the perhaps not so good bits. Hey. So, yeah, I'll probably do watch a bit more than I used to before. You've just reminded me, Mark, because I sent you a challenge the other night, didn't I? Where? Oh, what's that? Well, should we set this as a challenge for the Blue Box podcast listeners? That sounds Prior ominous. to Phonicon, I managed to get in contact with Annette Badland, as in um, oh, yes. the Slovene stories, um, and also Wizards versus Aliens. And she offered up a piece of costume to auction for Phonicon and we got it just before the event and as far as we were aware it was going to be something from her Doctor Who episodes but when we got it it's a purple furry hat and we do a purple not, furry hat a purple furry mm. hat and we do not know when or what TV program she was acting in when she was wearing it so uh maybe i should we post a picture on the blue box podcast page and see if anyone (laughs) can work out where it's from okay that sounds good to me and the person who gets it right yes and can prove it right by um a link to a photograph from the film or television series in which it was worn, yeah, wins a bag of boiled sweets, which you will provide, Simon. I will. I will, quite happily. Surely jelly Because babies. I want to be able to auction it to make money for the cause which we were doing Phonicon for. And mm. uh, if I can find it where without it's knowing, from... Yes. Yeah, you, can't can't <laughs> auction, you can't auction something without knowing its provenance, can you? No, this is it. And I don't want to have to write back to her and saying, you know, it sounds ungrateful. But and uh, you know, rather cheeky. If I turn around to her and say, "That's lovely," where's it from? Well, why not? Yeah. Uh, if the worst comes to the worst, do that. Um, the other point I was going to make about that, uh, I keep calling it ice cold, cold war. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they taunt, they uh, taunted us, they tempted, tempted us, they uh, teased us. <laughs> Blimey. Taunted, tempted, and teased all in a single sentence. You don't get that very often. They teased <laughs> us with the title of this before they told us what it was. Stephen Moffat kept saying, You won't believe the title of episode three. Fanboys are going to wet themselves. And then it's called Cold War. Mm. Didn't really make me wet myself. I think they came up with the title before he came up with the story, to be honest. That's the impression I get. Oh, God, uh, that yeah. sounds so sarcastic and. Uh, Yes, yeah, probably true. But yeah, I can imagine that. I go, I, as, a, as a songwriter, I've done it before where I've come up with the title of a song because I thought, oh, that's really cool. And then you come up with a song. Yeah. And that's the order in which it's been done, if you ask me. Anyway. You can do that with songwriting. Yeah. You only have to substantiate three or four minutes with a song. 
bit different from you know trying to make something across 40 or 45 minutes work mm. i would say though the thing that i was about to say and i forgot was only i get the feeling that as a certain kind of doctor who fan and i'm not sort of saying this to put anybody down but i get the feeling a certain kind of doctor who fan the ones who like their classic doctor who are gonna love this because it is it is like a cross between classic doctor who and films like alien or the alien films and das boot even but you know what i mean <clears throat> i think there'll be a certain kind of person that this will really appeal to this episode well i hope it does you know because it's not it's not nice coming across these what we consider be weaker weaker episodes because first thing you do as a paranoid doctor who fan is start worrying about the future of the series oh no i don't think there's anything to worry about there uh, not. absolutely not no 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 there have been plenty of episodes like this across the last eight years oh no 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 that'll be fine in fact this is the absolute polar opposite of love and monsters really isn't it and love and monsters divided people like nothing else has before and mostly to the bad and if the series if the series couldn't survive love and monsters it can certainly survive this oh, i remember when love series three went out gorgeous oh. <laughs> yeah yeah but a lot of people really hated it mark you were oh, saying yeah, when Series 3 went out, um, there was a bit of a string of weaker stories and everyone was thinking, oh, God, this is not shaping up well. And then you, and get... then you had Blink, you had... Um, human Nature. The human Nature, um, Utopia. Yeah. So, you know, there's still hope. Oh, it's always the way. <laughs> no, we shouldn't start writing things off just because we didn't like an episode or two episodes in a row even, yeah. perhaps. No, no, everything's going to be absolutely fine. Besides, this series now does seem to be loaded more towards the back end, doesn't it? It is um, like loaded towards the back end. Better episodes <laughs> to come. So what have, this we got, is, what have we got ahead of us? What's it? Is it co actually called Hyde? Is it the next one? Yeah, yeah. Hyde. And then what's Hyde are in the houses at one point? I think. All oh, right. And what's the, when's where does Cybermen come? Well, next week is Hyde, and then you have in short order Journey to the Center of the TARDIS. Right. The second Mark Gatiss one with Diana Rigg and her daughter. Yeah. The Cybermen. Mm. And then the finale. And the Cybermen is called Silver... Nightmare and Silver. Nightmare and Silver. That's right. Named after the Frederick Brown short stories. Oh. Uh, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. I don't suppose anybody on this side of the Atlantic will. The Americans will know. Frederick Brown, he was an author. He wrote... I think he's probably better known for his short stories. They're very very douglas adams but with a really dark twist and he wrote a series of short stories called nightmare in red nightmare in blue nightmare in green and so on oh. I, have no, I have no idea if neil gaiman was actually thinking of him when he titled this but i'd be fairly surprised if he wasn't because neil gaiman is just a little bit in the same area as frederick brown mm. and so he is americana as well absolutely well obviously he lives in america doesn't he mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I think he's well aware of uh, Frederick Brown. So anybody out there listening who likes Neil Gaiman, Douglas Adams, that kind of thing, you know, type Neil, Frederick Brown into... Uh, it's F-R-E-D-R-I-C Brown into your eBay and see what comes up or into your Amazon or wherever. Mm. Yes. He wrote the... He wrote the one of the shortest short stories there's ever been. I'm not sure if it's actually the record holder. All right. Uh, 
oh, if only I could remember it, it's literally just a handful of words long. I tell you what, the writer equivalent of the electro hippies was it the electro hippies who did the world's shortest record? Wasn't Napalm Death? Was it? Oh, Jesus couldn't drum. Did a record that was two seconds, three seconds long. Yeah, there's another one that just literally goes, and that's it. Ah, well, there's no melody there. I'm not entirely sure you can count it, can you? If there's no melody whatsoever, (laughs) it's just a a noise. Well, Mm. no, no, there needs to be at least two notes for it to be a melody. Well, otherwise it's just a tone. Come on, Simon, you're a musician. Well, I don't know. I don't know. How can you distinguish one thing being a a record? Well, a, a melody a melody is by definition a series of notes. So there must be at least two in order for it to be a series. Mm. Well, a single the, the note records a... are literally one note, aren't they? Oh, well, they're rhythm. That's to do with rhythm, isn't it? Well, mm. Mm. If you've neither melody nor rhythm, then it's not a song. It's a Black Eyed Peas record. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Mark's still with us. (laughs) Please can we end on a positive note? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I can't remember this short story by Frederick Brown. Literally, maybe something like six or eight words long. But... um, It's one of the... It's six or eight words long, something like that. But it is both amusing and thought-provoking <laughs> in six or eight words. I can't remember it, but here's another challenge for our listeners. Seek it out, and um, in next week's episode, I will have sorted it out myself. Uh, I think the book's actually in the attic, so I'll have to try and Google it. And I will recite it at the start of next week's episode. Wow. Whoa. <clears throat> <laughs> Or maybe in the Easter egg after the music at the end of this episode. <laughs> oh, can I just quickly announce that uh, the other radio show that we do, The Phonic Screwdriver, myself and Mark will be doing it on the 26th of April, and our special mm. guest is Dan Barrett, one of the Dalek operators. There we go. Oh. Oh, I think I'm... Uh, if you want me, I think I can make it to that one. I was going to ask, see if you wanted to come along. Oh, well, I will, if you don't mind. No, why not? All right. Here you go, I found it. Oh, it's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's actually 17 words. Oh, 17, my lucky number. Do you want to hear it? Go on then. It's called Knock. It's by Frederick Brown and it goes as follows The last man on earth sat alone in a room. There was a knock on the door. Oh, you didn't get it? Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Oh, it's famous, that. Very famous. It probably works better if you're actually reading it than having it read to you by me. (laughs) All right, let's knock this episode on the head because now we're just getting punch drunk. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Uh, Is there anything? Oh, no, we have an email. Oh, go on, quick. Yeah. From first-time writer, uh, whose name is Gary Knackers. <laughs> no, Gary Ackers. He signs it. His, he signs himself. <laughs> 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 what no, did no, you say that? Well, I don't know if it's Ackers or Acres. It's probably Acres, actually. No, Gary Acres. Gary Knackers. Yeah. No, it's because but his. Um, no, his his contact <laughs> is Gnackers. Or Ganakers. Oh, I don't right. know. 
Oh, I don't know how you pronounce it. He'll have to write it in now and tell us how you pronounce it. And I was just glancing at the screen and I accidentally misread it as Gary Knackers. But I think he should go with that now. <laughs> On Twitter, Gary Knackers. Wouldn't that be brilliant? That might be something he doesn't translate to... Uh... Yeah, maybe. Because he says, I'm a first-time writer and big fan from California. Yeah. So perhaps they don't have knackers the same as we do no no what do i mean he doesn't have knackers the same as we do oh shut up oops i've just knocked something off the shelf i'm a first-time writer and big fan from california having discovered your show a few weeks ago i listened to several doctor who podcasts including the dwp radio free scaro the memory cheats and the pharos project they're all great, but yours outshines them all. Bloody hell, thank your you. Camaraderie, <clears throat> well, your camaraderie, insights and love for who are terrific fun to listen to. He says, <laughs> I'm reading this out at the end of this episode. Ironic. <laughs> and I'm slowly making my way through all your shows from the beginning. Fortunately, by the time he reads, he is reading his email out, it will probably be several weeks and, uh, yeah. You'll have forgotten he said that. I also helped run a 200-member local group here in Orange County, the Real Time Lords of Orange County, who are also on Facebook. In fact, if anybody's in Southern California and wants to look them up, the Real Time Lords of Orange County, just find them on Facebook and go along. I loved your origin stories on the Saturday episode. I've been a fan since I was 12 in 1975 when my local public station started running the first three Pertwee seasons, one episode a week, starting with Doctor Who and the Silurians. I still consider Pertwee my Doctor. A couple of years later, a comic book shop near me began importing batches of the Target novelizations. So like you, I know what it was like to have my Doctor Who fix by the weekly episodes in the Target books. I still remember what a revelation it was to read the episode guide in Terrence Dick's The Making of Doctor Who when the whole history of the show opened up to me all at once. Uh, He carries on, he says... I've made it to your questions episode and wanted to comment on your received wisdom discussion. One of the pieces of received wisdom I don't agree with is that JNT's strengths lay in publicity more than the creative end of the show. It seemed to me that every season JNT took a golden publicity opportunity to give the show renewed momentum and blew it each time. For example, in his very first show, The Leisure Hive, with the start of a new season and an updated title sequence, what's the first thing audiences saw? A slow tracking shot across a deserted Brighton beach. Goodbye, one million viewers between episodes one and two. Uh, after Earthshock episode four, all the strong publicity, word of mouth of the Cybermen, the death of Adric, what did the public get next? Time, Time flight. flight. How did JNT follow up the nationwide publicity of the Longleat celebration and the Five Doctors? Warriors of the Deep. And the Murker, of course. <laughs> and after all the excitement of the Caves of Androzani and the Regeneration, what were audiences given after that? <laughs> Twin dilemma. So I dispute <laughs> that JNT was a great publicity genius, since it seems that any chance the show had to build real momentum and word of mouth was frittered away by the extremely poor story selection, or, high, or by his not seeing each season as an organic whole, but just a collection of individual stories that could be thrown onto screens in any order. Anyway, thank you for such a wonderful show. I'll be writing and posting again as I catch up. And mm. that was Gary Akers, or Akers... Mm. you'll have to write and tell us how to pronounce that I think it must be acres 
Well, if that, that new J&T book's anything to go by, he was quite fond of an organic hole. <laughs> I uh, picked up a copy oh. of that book on uh, on Sunday at Phonicon, so uh, I shall be leafing through that over the next few days. Uh, yes, I managed to get a hard copy now. I've dipped into uh, a non-hard copy, but now I've got a hard copy and a week off next week, so I shall hopefully be able to sit down and devour it next week. Suki says, get back to the podcast. Say hello to the listeners from me. This is interactive broadcasting. Is that what you call it? <laughs> <laughs> That's what he calls it. No, that was his... Uh... There you go. I've just told him I did. Oh, bless him. This, this is like, uh, getting silly now. We shouldn't be doing this. This would be like looking through a podcast <laughs> telescope for him, wouldn't it? Yeah. We're this light is... years away. Right. <clears throat> Next week, hide. And that is just <laughs> my message to the listener. That's an instruction. Just in yeah, case. That's my message to the listener. <laughs> Well, it is by Neil Cross again. Mind you, next week's episode is the one that Stephen Moffat thought was so good he offered him another one straight away. Mm. So. We'll see. And of course, Neil Cross did, um, I was going to say Lucifer then. What was it called? Luther. Luther. Lucifer. Duh. <laughs> um, he did Luther. So uh, I saw some of those. I didn't see the whole thing. But With Paul McGann? A... Pardon? With Paul McGann? What? Oh, was it? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah Paul yeah, McGann's and Luther. But that was very well received, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, there you go. So, fingers crossed for something better next week. Mm. Well, you say, just very quickly, Joe, I'll tell the American listeners about Broadchurch, because they probably haven't had a chance to see it yet, have they? Why? Oh, well, in that case, I don't want to tell them about it, in case they don't get a chance to see it. Oh, they should seek it out, surely. Uh, well, if you can seek it out, seek it out. Broadchurch is eight episodes, is serial, it's like a rural, uh, so it's sort of a murder mystery, but it's also an ensemble thing. It's, in fact, if, in a way, the murder mystery, although that's what's drawing people in, and it really is drawing people in as well, there's, you know, a huge reception to this thing, and people talking about it on Twitter every Monday night after it goes out, and uh, people really are talking about this, it's sort of water cooler TV in a way. But to be honest, the murder mystery just is an excuse to look at these characters. And a pretty hairy collection of characters they are too. So we're we're talking a a drama with David Tennant as the main character, yeah? Yeah, and Uh, a bunch of other people from Doctor Who. Written by Chris Chibnall. Yes, and it is bloody excellent. So that's our other recommendation that's not Doctor Who this week next week uh, recommendation that's not Doctor Who will be Heidi High and next week we'll be telling you all about that (laughs) is this a new spot we're doing oh speaking of which Mark hello would you like to give Simon 60 seconds on the seeds of death off you go Simon Patty hell. I haven't watched it since <laughs> Caesar Death. I haven't watched since uh, purchasing the VHS tape from W. H. Smith. Um, God, I can't remember a lot about it. Based under siege, um, hissing ice warriors. Oh, I seriously cannot remember a lot apart from the fact that it Foam. was one of the very first Patrick. In fact, it was the first Patrick Troughton story that I watched um, since the Crotons during the Five Faces of Doctor Who series. So it was uh, an absolute learning experience. And I, I actually remember less about the Ice Warriors and more about Patrick Troughton from that. I think I was more fascinated by him than them 
if I'm honest. So this latest they had a phone party come... in the middle of it. What? They had a phone party in the middle of it. <laughs> you know what? <clears throat> this is absolutely astonishing. I think you made it more or less 60 seconds. I forgot to put my stopwatch on, but you must have been pretty much there. <laughs> but you know what the really amazing thing is? When you've got 60 seconds to fill and you don't think you've got anything to say, you suddenly start talking really quickly. Mm. So you need to find more words to fill those 60 seconds. Astonishing. Uh-huh. Well, you've, well, you know, that's the opposite of what you should do, isn't it? it do you know what the ironic Meanwhile, thing, coming from that, just very briefly, um, yeah. the ironic thing about this latest episode of the Ice Warriors, about itching to see the Ice Warriors again, I, I, I was never really that blown away by them. I'm just, I was just fascinated to see what they did with it, really. Yeah. So, anyway. Now you know what they have done. They've taken them out and they've uh, <laughs> sent them scurrying around like gremlins. Yes. At least they haven't transformed into Mogwai. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Mark, say goodnight. Goodnight. Simon, say goodnight. Goodnight. I was JR. I was Mark. I was Simon. And we'll speak again soon. Contact us by email via blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk. Good night, John boy. <laughs> <laughs> that, Marky.